Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. I am Dave Biddle. I'm very happy to be joined by Matt Baxendell. Snow day for our kids. So uh, Bax and I both have a, a full house today. In fact, my wife is a teacher, so uh, she's uh, off work. Uh, my kids are off school. So uh, let's get right into it. Um, all right, Bax. So got a question, a couple questions for Bucknut subscribers I want to get into. Um, this comes from Red Bull 88. I'm just going to read this verbatim. Um, this is basically about all he, he, you know, I'll start off with a paraphrase. This is about all he, he opines Ohio State has a lack of depth on the football team and are stat hunting too much and are not, you know, developing depth. Here's exactly what he says Are we managing injuries and developing depth or are we stat hunting? And this is from Red Bull 88. Are we managing injuries and developing depth or are we stat hunting? Goes on to say, We needed Ike, Burke, C.J. Harrison and Mayan to win the title, but we lost Mayan in a blowout. Watching Eichenberg fly around in garbage time makes me cringe, he says. A couple more things here. When the second team finally gets in, uh, we run and then take a knee. Nobody learns anything, he says. Then he finishes with Alabama and Georgia can afford some injuries. We don't depth. What are your thoughts on that, Max? Well, you know what? I think there's a certain element of truth to it. If you're Jim Knowles coming into this season, you wanted to show that you had tangible progress on defense, right? And I think everybody probably agrees that there were a lot of times where we could have been playing some of the depth guys, particularly at linebacker, where Chambers and Eichenberg have felt like had, you know, 95% of the snaps this year. And I'm sure it wasn't that high, but that's just how it felt. So, you know, I think there's a certain point where Knowles was hoping to point at it and go, look, you know, we've given up X amount less points per game, and I, I'm in the back of his head there was thought of I don't want to give up garbage time scores and not make the progress as clear and tangible as I think I'm going to get. So that's a part of it, I think. Um, I think the part that rings more true to me is, is that every time we would put in Kyle McCord and all the backups, there would be six handoffs and one pass, usually to a tight end, and that would be it. I think in this day and age where you have to constantly re-recruit your whole roster and you're going to have guys that need to get those, that experience to get that run, you've got to just run your offense. Like, the other team's still supposed to stop you. 
If you're putting in your backups, it means you're not putting your foot on the gas. doesn't mean you need to throw 60-yard rainbows, but run your offense. And, you know, that was one thing that really made me wonder. And, you know, I get the argument to that. The counter-argument is you need to run the ball, shorten the game, avoid the injuries, get it over with. You don't need to embarrass the opponent anymore than you already are. Yeah, but for those guys that are second stringers that barely play or third stringers that barely play, that's their Super Bowl for the season. And that's their opportunity to show what they can do. And I didn't think we really took advantage of that. So, you know, this is one I don't necessarily disagree with it. I think you need to show more depth. I think you need to not worry if you give up 13 points per game or 16 points per game. It's still improved from the year before. And you need, uh, we should have seen some more of these younger linebackers. Plain and simple. We should have seen more opportunities for Kyle McCord to throw the ball. Because now – if he wins the starting quarterback battle, he has exactly one start against Kent State under his belt, or Akron or whoever it was like a year ago. I think it was Akron. But either way, we haven't seen McCord get to throw the ball significantly in any sort of real game. That's something that would have been nice to have seen. So, yeah, I, I do think that we maybe didn't rely as much on building our depth and letting our younger players get more run as we could have, particularly in some of these blowouts this year. Yeah, it's interesting. I never thought, you know, we'd be sitting here talking about an Ohio State team with a lack of depth on the football roster. I will say this, though. Um, I think there is good depth. You touched on this at, at certain positions, like linebacker. I mean, guys like, you know, they were young, but guys like C.J. Hicks um, you should have been playing more guys like that. I think Caden Curry should have been playing more at defensive end. Um, you know, I know Tyler Friday was one of the leaders of the team, and Javante Jean-Baptiste was a fifth-year guy, but I thought Caden Curry should have been playing over those guys. So there was certain positions that had good depth, in my opinion, um, but then there's certain positions that did not. You know, the offensive line, they've not done a good job building depth. Um, you know, corner, you had six scholarship corners on the team backs, and two of them were true freshmen. The other one was a – one of them was a redshirt freshman and, and J.K. Johnson, who's now left. So, yeah, I mean, where do you come down on that? Do you agree there's a depth deficiency overall? I think in spots it's 100% the case. And there's a difference between a depth deficiency and a talent deficiency. I think that's important to clarify. In my eyes, what a – talent deficiency is because you don't have the players on your roster to be able to, you know, develop those guys into future players that can make a big difference. Depth means you don't have enough guys that are ready to play. And that's a big difference, right? Every team's going to have a bunch of freshmen who are figuring out college football or learning their way through, or the guys who redshirted their first year and still haven't gotten their feet underneath them. Depth means, hey, we got C.J. Hicks in for, you know, 10 snaps intermittently against Notre Dame in crunch time in the, or in just in regular game time during the first day, right? Depth means instead of having six scholarship cornerbacks, two of which are true freshmen, and at any point in time, at least two of which were injured, depth means, hey, I went into the portal and I got two guys. And, they, you know, the reason we didn't take Elias Ricks last year was because J.K. Johnson didn't want to have some older player come in over him and take his playing time or he transfer. Well, that backfired. He's gone anyway. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think, the depth is giving these young, talented players that you have on your roster the opportunity to get some playing time to build themselves into useful pieces in case of injury or in case you need them, right? And, the flip, and then the flip side of that is you've got to get into the portal in the spots where you don't have the numbers, right? We've been talking about the offensive line since the end of the season because right now I think we're hoping – this is the most Bowman-esque year for the line right now, it feels like. Where it's like, I think we got six, maybe, right? And, and that's not good. Right. But that's because, you know, when Matt Jones is dragging one leg all around the, the last four games of the season, instead of giving a younger guy like Enoch Kimahi more run, you know, we didn't do it. We kept running Matt Jones out there while he was hurting. Maybe it would have been smart to give one of these younger guys more time. Right. 
you know, maybe whenever Dewan Jones was limping, we could have given Fryer more than one start. I don't. These are things that we have to consider here, right? And you know, I think it's for from an Ohio State perspective, we spent a little too much time last year with our top guys on the field a little too late in the game, and that goes down to C.J. Stroud too. How many times do we look at it and go, "We're up six touchdowns. Why is C.J. still in? Are we trying to chase Heisman numbers?" That's a very fair question in my mind. Yeah, and I think you know. They were probably trying trying to chase Heisman numbers there for a while, and you know, you know, if, if they didn't lose to Michigan, maybe it would have worked. I mean, he sure he played like a Heisman uh, winner against Georgia. Man, oh, he, yeah. played, he played his butt off. Now I saw Mel Kiper at his uh, first mock draft. He now has C.J. Stroud going um, number one overall with the Bears trading the pick. Um, has Bryce Young going fourth to the Colts? He says his lack of size is going to hurt him. So we'll see what happens. Um, oh, excuse I, me, he actually had. Excuse me, he actually had Jalen Carter, the D-tackle from Georgia, of course, going first to the Bears. Excuse me, he has the Bears not trading the pick and has uh, Stroud going number two. Excuse me, but had Stroud going ahead of, of Bryce Young. If I'm the That's Bears, I trade ball. that pick, man. I trade that pick and load up on draft capital if I'm the Bears. You're going to get three or four first-rounders, including a top-ten pick this year for it. Why wouldn't you? you right. Know? The Colts yeah. will trade up for it. They're not going to risk having to sit there at four. They need a quarterback. Ursay's been desperate. Colts will probably trade up. And the Bears and the Colts are not in the same conference, so that it all—it just all adds up. And then yeah. the Bears get the number four pick; they can still take a really good player. Maybe a Will Anderson falls there, or Jalen Carter, um, if the quarterbacks go one and two, which I bet they will. Anyway, we're getting off. All right, here's the next question I'm going to get to. Now, this again, um, this is about NIL. This is, comes from Fox R 2001. Fox R 2001. Um, kind of a long question, but uh, kind of three questions in one. Uh, Tim May style. So here we go. NIL backs is not supposed to be pay for play, but it seems like it's happening all across the college football landscape. He says is Ohio State's stance on not being providing deals, not providing deals for Ohio high school kids, excuse me, not providing deals for high school kids, something at the state level, or is it an Ohio state policy or a policy of the football program itself? He goes on to ask, do you see Ohio State trying to get more aggressive than we have been? And are you in favor of us playing the pay-for-play game, or would you rather we continue as we have been and only reward students once they are committed and enrolled? All right, so let's start with the, you know, is this a state law or is this Ohio State not, uh, you know, the university itself? Well, from my understanding, Bax, correct me if I'm wrong, it is a state law that they can't do the pay-for-play with the recruits. Now, is, you know, would anything actually happen? Probably not. But um, to get into that and then answer his questions as well, do you think Ohio State should be more aggressive? Do you think that they should be getting into the pay-for-play model, or do you think the way they're doing it now is okay? So I think Ohio State's riding the south a little bit. This is like a wave, and they're just trying to kind of get through the splash and see what ends up happening at the end of it. And that's the reality on this one is that you see Texas A&M, they had like, what, 20-something transfers this year? all those kids just took the money and then hated being at Texas A&M and decided to actually go somewhere they wanted to play football. So we may be looking back at this in two or three years and going, that was pretty smart, right? Look at all these programs that splashed money and it didn't work out for them. And, you know, that just hurts their boosters long term. Uh, the flip side of the equation is while we're in the middle of the wave, we're all pretty wet right now. And, you know, that part sort of sucks because you're watching teams go out there and flat out buying guys. I mean, that's what's happening. Like, we can – we can spin it however we want. That's what's happening. 
Florida just had a kid get out of his letter of intent because they didn't pay him his agreed upon signing bonus. Right? Thirteen million. Yeah. Well, they didn't come through on it. Right? But the thing the kid was going to not like like say something. So now Rashada's floating around out there too. But this is what these kids are doing. There's a select. There, there's 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 two types of recruits at this point. There's the kids who are choosing the school like they normally would have anyways, and the NIL is a wonderful bonus that they can take advantage of. And then there's the kids that are choosing to just go pay me. And you have to identify those kids earlier. And it's not like in the past, you know, where you would have somebody's uncle show up on campus the week before, and then you'd wonder why Ohio State wasn't chasing the kid and he ended up at Auburn, right? No, they just flat out get paid now, right? That's just the way it is. And they can mobilize all these rich guys. And honestly, if you're a billionaire like the Ruiz guy is, and my, your, your alma mater Miami has stunk for 15, 20 years, how are you going to restore the glory? Flash a lot of money at players and hope it pr- produces a better team. Because that's the general thought process in college football is that the teams that have the most talent generally are the best team. And that's pretty played out, right? Look at who's always the ones that win the national championship. It's the same groups that are usually near the top of the recruiting chart. It's a very direct line. So that's what all these guys are looking at and why they're spending all this money. Now, should Ohio State be doing that? I think Ohio State is a pretty good culture with their program right now. I think you're seeing that there's been NIL opportunities for guys. I mean, TJ Stroud had a Rolls Royce, right? I think Ohio State's just trying to reward the actual performance of some of these guys. And what I think we're going to eventually get to is there's going to be some sort of balance, but there's a baseline where everybody has a certain X amount when you get to a place like Ohio State that at least covers some of these deficiencies or allows them to, you know, have a car or something, right? You're not going to – gone are the days of the super poor freshman Ohio State kid who's recruited out of a, a poor background, who's maybe from a single-parent household, and all that he can eat is just the stuff he has at the, the OSU, you know, training table, right, and has to live in a dorm and doesn't have a car and has to bum a ride from one of the seniors. Like, that's not going to happen anymore with NIL, right? But what is probably also a good thing that it's not happening yet for Ohio State is flat out trying to give guys money. Because if guys come to your school for money, then they're expecting that they're going to get paid and they're going to be on the, on, the, on the field immediately. Well, you have to earn your way on the field. That's all it does is show locker room dissension. So I'm not really against how Ohio State has done this. If you look at their recruiting, it's not like we're 20th in the country, right? They're somewhere between five and eight in the last few years of the NIL hitting. But, you know, when it comes to being aggressive with high school kids, I think we need to see how this plays out. And I don't like OSU's caution as much because they're worried about the NCAA. But I do approve the caution from the aspect that it can really ruin your program culture. Let's get to a couple of questions from our live audience. This comes from Buckeye80 on YouTube. What about corners and safeties coach switch? A lot of people have talked about this. Perry Eliano right now, the safeties coach, of course, was the corners coach at UC. Um, Did a pretty good job down there. Now he had a lot of talent to work with with Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant. But um, it's still funny to me. Sauce Gardner was the high draft pick. Kobe Bryant was third round pick. And it was was, uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh, who won the Thorpe Award and, and Sauce Gardner did not, but I digress. Um, Tim Walton, of course, being the corners coach, and he has the title of secondary coach. So he's higher on the totem pole than Perry Eliano. Now, I don't know, Bax, I'm going to get your thoughts on this. I'll, I will say this. I don't see Ryan Day having them switch, but um, a lot of people have wondered that. Do you think that we could see a switch with Walton going to safeties and Eliano going to corners? Uh, no, and here's why. Uh, the way Ohio State's defense is set up, you have three safeties on the field at almost all times, so that position almost needs more attention, right? We're also focused on the corners. We only had six scholarship corners last year. 
that really didn't perform to the levels that we would have expected from the Fed of Ohio State corners, coming off a decade of almost all of them being first-round picks. I, I think Eliano is a safety fine, right? You have to develop these guys to be a dynamic and sort of unpredictable force at the back end of the key when you're playing this three high safety look, right? And there's three, there's different position sets in there too, right? Corner, we talk about field boundary slot, right? Those are the, the kind of the roles that you have. But that, that line's kind of blurred now with the way the defense is set, right? So you're going to have uh, multiple different safeties. There's just not your free and strong anymore, right? So with, and look at how varied our safeties are. You have guys like Sonny Styles that are, you know, Sean Taylor's type hybrid freaks. Then you have guys that are going to be more of a hammer like a Josh Proctor. And then you got guys who are, you know, more like a Cam Martinez who skews more towards a cornerback type. Look at Court Williams. Court Williams is a hybrid outside linebacker in some teams. So I think that having the safeties able to be that hybrid role, be able to cover, but also be there in run support is a more difficult job than teaching kids to play cover. So I, I like Elion on the safety. What I don't like is six scholarship corners again, and we need more guys in the transfer portal. That's simple in my opinion. All right, Robert on Facebook. Will we get another assistant coach? At this point, I don't think so. I mean, they replaced Kevin Wilson basically – well, it was two-pronged. I mean, obviously they promoted Brian Hartline, but the, you know, the guy that was not on, you know, was not a position coach that now is, was promoted from within is uh, Keenan Bailey, who, yeah. uh, for those who don't know Keenan Bailey, he had been a quality control coach or a sports staff guy for like seven years. He was there, got there the year before Ryan Day got there. Um, and now he's been promoted to tight ends coach. So that's how they've handled it. They've done a lot of promoting from within. Um and Ryan Day did go outside the program to get Knowles, Eliano, and Walton. So it's not like he's – and Justin Fry, who we had a previous right. relationship with. Um, now, Larry Johnson's the one that I still wonder about because I, I had heard during the season it might be his last year. Um, and now you, you, would have, you would think we would have heard something either through the grapevine or even officially from Ohio State. So maybe if I was a betting man, I would say that uh, Larry Johnson's going to come back for one more year. So I will answer it no – there will not be a different assistant coach that's going to be added to the staff. What do you think, Bax? Yeah, I concur. They're not going to add anybody. They promoted Bailey from within. We've heard a lot of things about him for a while now. And if LJ was going to retire, we would have known right now. Certainly we'll know in the next couple of weeks. Because you don't go into spring football with your retiring coach coaching those kids. You have your new coach in place. And this is the season where coaches are going everywhere. So if you want to snag a really strong defensive line coach from outside the program kind of got to go do it so i don't think lj is going anywhere so i I agree with you dave i think this is our our staff i I think they're set Uh, bailey being promoted is really the only addition barring a surprise i would be surprised if we have any other change great stuff from Bax. you can catch his column every sunday it is the bucket thanks again to Bax. thanks to all of you for tuning in we really appreciate it Hope everyone has a great day. If you're in Ohio, grab your shovel. Thanks again, everyone. Appreciate it. Go, bye.